This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to this episode. I'm Dr. Kat. Today we are diving into acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and how it can be used in support of people dealing with reproductive health and mental health conditions. We're going to be talking with Abigail Morgan. She is a mother of two children, a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist and a writer. She's board certified by the state of California in traditional Chinese medicine and has an additional board certification from the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. She is the owner of Float, Chinese Medical Arts in Glendale, California, an integrative practice that focuses on reproductive health for all genders and the childbearing cycle. Abigail is a passionate advocate for choices in childbirth and has been helping families get pregnant, stay pregnant, and thrive as parents since 2006. She's currently writing a memoir about her experience with postpartum anxiety and her remarkable recovery from it. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about what is acupuncture and how does it work? How does traditional Chinese medicine help with stress and stress reduction during pregnancy and postpartum? And even what is it like to go get acupuncture? There's a lot of information to learn. There's a lot we can know. And I'm really hopeful that this episode is supportive to you in your healing and recovery. So let's hear from Abigail. Welcome, Abigail. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I am very excited. You are our first guest to be talking about Chinese medicine and acupuncture and how it can support perinatal mental health and just wellness in general. And I know that a lot of people are interested in this. So yeah, just start off by telling us a little bit about what you do. Sure. Well, I'm a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, which means that in California, I'm board certified in traditional Chinese medicine. And I've been in practice for about 13 and a half years in private practice. I love being my own boss. Yeah. And I have an additional board certification in reproductive health, which is integrative. So basically, I primarily treat people who are menstruating or, you know, either have just started or dealing with period issues, people who are trying to get pregnant, 
trying to have a healthy pregnancy and then people in the postpartum time, really the whole childbearing cycle, and then issues with the reproductive system in general for all genders. So what that looks like is I see one person at a time and it's a different model of care than say community acupuncture where there's a big room and lots Mm -hmm. of chairs, Mm -hmm. which is incidentally how they do it most of Asia. So it's kind of set up like a therapy room in a sense that there's you know, we have chairs and then there's a treatment table. So I guess you may not have your clients on a treatment table, but (laughs) so I really do a very comprehensive medical history consultation exam with the person, find out what they're coming in for, what I can help them with. And then also look at blood work or any Western labs or workups that have been done that might be pertinent and do a lot of listening to the person and find out, you know, how I can be of service. And then I'll come up with an initial diagnostic impression and make a differential diagnosis and then treat according to that. So basically we treat according to Chinese medicine, but we diagnose according to Western medicine. Oh, fascinating. Mm -hmm. is one part of what I do as well as herbal medicine, nutritional consultation, and then lifestyle suggestions. So for example, talking to somebody about how meditation might be helpful to them or journaling, giving other referrals to other practitioners. Okay, um, so I work a lot in conjunction with therapists. What was that again? Oh, I was just going to say I work a lot in conjunction with therapists. So I may not be talking on the phone to the therapist specifically about what the person's going through, but specifically with perinatal mental health, I'm often working with a patient who may also be seeing a psychotherapist for anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Fantastic. So given that, what kinds of things do you see, I guess, just in general or most often in your practice in relation to perinatal issues? The number one thing I treat is stress and anxiety Mm -hmm. and often depression, you know, comorbid with that or which is really a terrible term, but (laughs) yeah, uh, you know, many things going on at the same time. But in terms of what the person's coming in with saying, hi, I'm coming in for stress, I'm coming in for anxiety. I mean, I had somebody call the other day, you know, who's newly pregnant was like, I don't know what you do or how you do it, but somebody told me to call you because you (laughs) helped me with the anxiety of having a pregnancy. And then I also treat a lot of insomnia, which I'm sure, as you know, tends to go hand in hand with anxiety, especially Mm -hmm. around the perinatal time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this is overall well-being. I mean, you mentioned the things that are integrative about what you do. And I assume that all of that comes up in most meetings with people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So if you can just for a moment, kind of step into acupuncture and give us a little brief explanation of what it is and how it works. And yeah, we'll start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, acupuncture is one branch of traditional Chinese medicine, which in itself is about 2000 years old. Um, It's really likely older, but that's the documented history of it. Mm -hmm. And acupuncture involves, the definition is the insertion of a sterile needle into acupuncture points to achieve a desired effect. So the needles we use here in the States are stainless steel, sterile, hair-thin, disposable, single-use. So basically one acupuncture point per spot on the body. Mm -hmm. And um, they're disposable, then they go into Sharp's disposal afterwards. 
and as thin as dental floss or even thinner, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the needle. So when people think of getting acupuncture needles, that often if someone's never had acupuncture before, they might be a little anxious about that in itself. Yeah. yeah. And once people have that first needle in there, it's a completely different experience. They're like, oh, that was it? <laughs> so it's nothing like it's solid filiform. So if you've had, you know, most people have had either a blood draw or a vaccine or a shot or both at some point in their life. And those are hollow needles. So there's either something coming out or something going in. Oh, okay. Right. An acupuncture needle is solid and it's very, very, very thin. So they're actually floppy. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other thing a lot of people think about acupuncture needles is that we're putting them in the blood vessels or in the nerves and we're actually not, we're avoiding them. Mm-hmm. So basically acupuncture down-regulates the nervous system. Well, it regulates the nervous system. It down-regulates the sympathetic nervous system. That's the Western mechanism of how it addresses stress, basically. Mm-hmm. And it calms it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can calm it down. It can also amp it up. So, But for stress and anxiety, where we talk about that fight, flight, freeze response, acupuncture quite simply down-regulates that response, the SNS. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. It can also increase blood flow. So that's famously how it's so successful at treating fertility is in terms of increasing blood flow to the uterus, increasing blood flow to the follicles, increasing blood flow to the testes, depending on the person. And then it can also, in moving blood, as we say, it can also reduce blood pressure for hypertension. Hmm increase blood circulation. So those are all very measurable with, you know, objective data with Western measurements. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that in because I think a lot of people are like, you know, who didn't grow up around this or have never had any kind of acupuncture or Chinese medicine or skeptical 
and are used to needing to hear that things have been studied and, you know, that there's research and all this. So I do appreciate you bringing that in to help with that. Yeah, It's interesting because when I see day to day, you know, in my pushing 14 years of practice is really, I don't really see skeptics, I guess. And maybe that's just because I'm at the point in my practice where people are referred to me primarily, but sometimes they just find me on the internet. It's more kind of questions. And then maybe it's just that the skeptics don't end up coming in. But I have had people who come in and they say, okay, I know this works because I can't even tell you how great I feel after it's night and day. You know, personally, as somebody who has suffered from panic attacks, acupuncture is literally the best thing that has ever worked for my panic attacks. I mean, it's, it's instant. I have helped more people than I can count out of a panic attack. Just through helping them breathe. And part of that is sometimes we need an outside force to come. Oh yeah. Right. So people will often say, well, I know it works, but how? And actually there was an interesting study done from which I can tell you just a brief bit about if you like about in April of 2013, this study from Georgetown university was published in the Journal of Endocrinology, so super, super Western biomedical journal, obviously. (laughs) Right. And the study looked at how acupuncture works on a molecular level. Now, of course, this is apples and oranges, right? Traditional Chinese medicine is so old, they didn't know about molecules yet, right? Right, right, right. They just knew about qi and the movement of qi. And so from an Eastern perspective, that's what we're doing with acupuncture is we're moving qi, we're nourishing qi, we're regulating qi and blood and yin and yang. And it gets super, super complex in terms of the theory. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to you, you know, up till now, we've been using kind of Western terms, but it's literally a different language that's you know, and here I don't really speak Chinese. I'm speaking it in English, but it's a different set of words and it's a completely different concept. But this study, just purely from a Western perspective, looked at how acupuncture works on a molecular level by using rats, because they're often what's used in research on how stress affects biology, right? And we know rats actually respond in a pretty similar way to humans. So they found that acupuncture, quote, blocks the chronic stress-induced elevation of the HPA axis, that's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis hormones, and the sympathetic neuropeptide Y pathway. So it's basically a really you know, a medically clinical way of saying that it calms us down, right? Right, It regulates the sympathetic nervous system. But they were able to look on a molecular level at how it does that. So I thought that was interesting. You know, not that I personally need a study to show me Mm -hmm. what I do works because I get to see it, you know, thousands of times a year. But it's interesting for those who might be, as you said, skeptics or might really want an understanding of it in their own language. Mm-hmm. And if you can, for those of the people who are listening who are new to this, mm-hmm. these concepts, can you explain what chi is? Chi is hard to explain, but it is most commonly translated as life force or mm-hmm. energy. There okay. really isn't a cognate for it, but if you, let's say, you give somebody a hug and you just know they're icky. It just doesn't feel right. Like mm-hmm. you're introduced to somebody and they reach their arms out and you're like, oh, they're going in drug. And <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. That's chi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could also say it's the chemistry you have with somebody. That's because mm-hmm. our bodies are full of chi. We move chi when we move some towards somebody. We receive chi when somebody comes toward us. Something I do with kids, I go into schools and do a chi ball exercise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just put your hands towards each other and imagine yourself holding a ball. And that, yeah. that energy 
that comes out of your hands is chi. So chi actually moves through the body just as blood and lymph do. It moves through the vessels, the acupuncture channels. And as an acupuncturist, one of the first things you do is you learn to feel chi. Mm-hmm. And actually, I learned it before I became an acupuncturist in massage school. So it's energy, basically. It's just, it's invisible to the naked eye. But once you learn how to feel it, you can also see it. Oh, absolutely. That's beautiful. And I think that's like what another added layer and benefit is to the work that you do because you're using all your senses, so to speak, to be able to help somebody. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the way when you look at a nerve conduction study or you look at, you know, the cranial nerves, for example, and how impulses move along a nerve, it's a really similar to how chi moves mm. because you can feel it moving in a particular pathway. So oh, sure. the vagus nerve, for example, one of the cranial nerves, which translates as wanderer, vagus is wanderer in Latin. That's a very, very long, wacky nerve in the mm-hmm. body. And that's the nerve that causes morning sickness, right? Mm. That's often what's to blame for nausea, not just in the morning as any of us who's been pregnant and had nausea. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's when it gets overstimulated, we can have nausea and vomiting. And so that nerve, you know, has pathways that go through the stomach as well as the uterus. Well, there are acupuncture pathways that are parallel to the vagus nerve. And so mm-hmm. by doing acupuncture on those particular pathways, you can essentially direct it down. It's like doing a U-turn. Uh, So I think what I'm hearing you say is that people who are having morning sickness can be helped by acupuncture. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be just in pregnancy. It can be in many people that nausea is part of their anxiety picture. Sure, sure. sure. Um, Well, so in terms of Mental health, certainly you're seeing stress and anxiety. And then also there are all these physical ailments and conditions like morning sickness and whatnot that make things stressful. What are the other things that you see commonly are contributing to stress and anxiety and potentially depression that aren't mental health specific? Yeah, that's a really good question because typically when somebody's talking to me in, let's say, early pregnancy, they give me a list of things that are going on and then they mm-hmm. typically apologize. <laughs> Another common thing that happens is they just cry and they're yeah. like, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. And I always have the same response. I would say, you know, I have tissues on subscribe and save. <laughs> right. There's plenty of them and you don't ever need to apologize for your emotions, whatever right. they are. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that I tell my kids. Your feelings are just that, they're feelings. Mm-hmm they're not going to kill you. And, you know, I don't think my kids have ever said, I'm sorry for crying. (laughs) I'm sorry for yelling at you. Actually, they do later. So in answer to your question, some of those things that may be more physical manifestations of pregnancy that I see a lot would be exhaustion. That's the common number one complaint in pregnancy, specifically in early pregnancy. You know, and as anyone who's been through a term pregnancy knows by the time you reach 14 weeks, usually the exhaustion's a lot better and it can be a blur, but that poses a real issue to the typical, you know, North American person who is pregnant and not ready to share that yet with their work environment, right? Environment or even with their parents or, you know, their close friends. And so just simply like fake it till you make it through the exhaustion can be really hard and can be really stressful. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I address a lot because acupuncture can help so much with that exhaustion. And then I'll also check in with people's nutrition, make sure they're getting enough protein. 
Because when you feel puny, you don't feel like eating, and then the protein gets low, and the nausea gets worse, and the exhaustion gets worse, and then it's this vicious huh. cycle. So exhaustion is one thing. Headaches are another very common, especially if someone's been prone to migraines or tension headaches before mm-hmm. pregnancy. Mm-hmm. They can often get worse in pregnancy, and often significantly worse if there's poor nutrition. And we don't think about that so much in you know the affluent West, but it can really be an issue, especially if there's an eating disorder history or any sort of just not feeling well, or especially coming out of IVF with all those meds. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, insomnia, really vivid dreams overnight. And I often attribute that to, okay, now you know you're pregnant, especially for the first pregnancy, it can be really overwhelming. And there's the brain wants to work out all those thoughts. And so it does it when our body is quiet and the house is quiet. And that can mean often staying awake. Yeah. Various types of pain I see a lot in pregnancy. Typically pain will start a little bit later unless it's headaches. It usually starts more like late second try, mm-hmm. early first, early third trimester, stuff like sciatica, heartburn can be really painful. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if people are feeling sort of in terms of stress and anxiety, kind of okay, having these physical ailments for months on end, it brings its own stress. It does. And certainly I imagine in some ways it's dealing with this stuff early on or as early as possible is not only helpful in the moment, but also preventative Mm -hmm. for later. That's a good point. I always talk about anxiety prevention when somebody Mm -hmm. comes to me and says, okay, I'm ready to start trying to get pregnant. Or often now that I've been doing this for a while, people will come back if they've seen me for a previous pregnancy and they'll say, well, you know, my partner and I are are thinking about it within the next year. What can I do to make myself as healthy as possible? Or, oh my God, I don't want to go through what I went through before with nausea or whatever it was. So I always emphasize the importance of self-care, especially if you have other children you're trying to get pregnant again, Mm -hmm. um, or even if, especially if you don't, because it's that archetype shift from Mm -hmm. being a person who doesn't have a child, whether it's biological or not, to a person who does. I mean, just that is, that is so massive. And I think that that shift, that transition is, is not something we talk about enough in our culture. You're so right. It's a huge problem. And honestly, I think it's one of the major contributors of stress is is being blindsided by what it actually looks like day to day. Absolutely. Um, People think about the baby. They focus on the baby no matter how they're trying to start a family and what gets left out is the self. Yeah. So, and all those changes, the identity yes, shifts and yes. Meaning. And the time sucks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not something you can really prepare for. So I emphasize learning to listen to our body, mind and spirit before conception, if possible, you know, if you're planning to get pregnant biologically and then during pregnancy as well. So there's this whole, okay, hurry up and get pregnant. You know, I typically see people over 35 who are trying to get pregnant. I have a huge fertility focus to my practice Mm -hmm. Um, and often well over 40, 42. So this like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm working and now I've got my career, so now I have to get pregnant right now. So there's this elevated cortisol, elevated stress hormones, which of course are antithetical to the pregnancy process. Uh You know, if the process is adoption, it's antithetical to that too, because there's all that paperwork and so, and then the whole, in the pregnancy, once someone's pregnant, working way, you know, right up until that ADD, right up until the due window or beyond. And all of that just creates so much more of an anxious state. 
And then in the postpartum time, you know, or the, the new parenting days, it can just be so hard to recover from that because you haven't had that downtime to take care of yourself. And self-care doesn't just mean, you know, pedicures and massages. Right. Great. But it's also just time to do less. Yeah. Right. Which is, I mean, for a lot of people, their bodies, the pregnancy itself might slow them down a little bit. But what I find in particular, because I'm mostly meeting with people who are already dealing with anxiety or depression, their body's slowing down, but their mind is not. And sometimes even going faster, you know, trying to keep up with all these changes. It's a lot to manage. That is very, very key. And one of the ways that our medicine is so beautiful for helping with that is integrating that connection between the mind and the body. So the classic dissociative thing where you see someone, you're like, oh, wow, you were not, I can see that you're not in your body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, someone who's living life from the shoulders up. Yeah. Or the, the chin up and often the shoulders are connected to the ears. Right. And my, this is often the person who doesn't have much of a change in affect on their face. Mm-hmm. I will feel their pulse and identify it's usually one of a few different pulse qualities. The pulse is a very complex method of diagnosis that we use in traditional Chinese medicine. We feel the pulse and then we look at the tongue and come up with a differential diagnosis based on that in mm-hmm. addition to what the person has told us and their mm-hmm. history. And then choose acupuncture points from the hundreds that we have to choose from that match that. And so often helping somebody anchor with foot points, for example, there's a point between the big toe and the second toe that is very, very anchoring. And even if I just put those two points in, you see someone go and suddenly let out a big exhale. That's nice. You know, and there's no real conscious thought in that for them necessarily. I mean, there might be once people mm-hmm. are used to acupuncture, they may lie on the table and they know they're about to, they remember the body remembers that they're yeah. about to feel very relaxed, but even for the newbie. And so in terms of anxiety prevention in the perinatal time, I think that's so key is just having that sense memory of what it feels like to feel really safe and grounded mm-hmm. and relaxed. Right. And then you can take that into your life and be able to do it. You know, I'll sometimes do that sitting in traffic. Right. <laughs> well, still being a safe driver, just a right, breath. This episode supported by Dr. Mara and the Touchstone Institute for Psychotherapy and Training Incorporated. If you have wanted to be trained in EMDR but wish you could do so with your fellow PMH specialist, consider taking your foundational EMDR training with Dr. Mara Tesler-Stein. An EMDRIA-approved trainer with the Institute for Creative Mindfulness and the Touchstone Institute for Psychotherapy and Training. I have to say, I have started the EMDR training process with Dr. Mara, and I love her approach, I love her style, and I'm learning so much. And I'm already able to use some of what I'm learning with my perinatal clients, and I'm excited to complete this training very soon. And I know that if you're already trained in EMDR, but you want to go deeper around how to utilize your EMDR skills for perinatal mental health, she has advanced workshops that are also available taking those foundational EMDR skills to a whole new level as you apply them to the EMDR therapy model with a wide range of concerns that our perinatal clients face. If you're interested in learning more about the trainings and whether they're a good fit for you, go to docmara.com training. Or if you have questions, you can email her at mara at docmara.com. Oh, sure. I do appreciate you too, more explicitly stating that about the mind-body connection. And in particular, in in kind of Western culture, it's really 
you know, this idea that I should, oh, I'm stressed out or I'm anxious, I should be able to manage it because since I know it, it really takes the body away as part of a contributing factor that just somehow you should be able to like with your mind, stop all of this stuff. And that's not really how it works. Right. And so, so much of what I do is really empathetic listening and I'm amazed how, I guess it's not even so much surprising anymore, but how many people come to see me and they'll, you know, they may spend 10 or 15 minutes just catching me up on what I need to know. I always say, what, what, tell me what I need to know. And it's just a string of overwhelm and then yeah. often the apology, yeah. but that overwhelm. And then this sense of like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why can't I handle this? It's well, right. because it's too much. It's <laughs> right. too much. You're overcommitted. Yeah. Yeah. And saying no is really, really hard. Yeah. You know, typically mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. people pleasers. Yeah. And yeah. so just helping people identify what is really necessary here mm-hmm. and what is not, what can mm-hmm. you maybe let go of or maybe put off so that you can have space to integrate what's going on with your body and mind and all mm-hmm. these new you know, transitions. Happening. Yeah. I know that that would be incredibly helpful in pregnancy. And then really specifically in this transition postpartum, what people's lives and bodies are going through, you know, having less, doing less sometimes feels really hard. But I'm curious too, then how in the early postpartum, what kind of supports do you offer for that transition, both just physically and and mentally? Yeah, well, with most of the people I see in the postpartum time, I've worked with them in pregnancy, but not always. I get referrals from OBGYNs and midwives and doulas and therapists for people who are needing support in the postpartum time. But ideally, I'll get to someone in the first five days because that day five can be really intense, as you yeah. probably know, the, you know, cycle emotionally, it's like a big shift that happens. Yeah, I call um, it the flood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll try to do a, a home visit or sometimes I'll do a hospital visit if there's a prolonged stay in the postpartum unit, but usually I'll go to someone's home. So I reserve specific spots every week in my schedule to do that. And it's one of my favorite things. And I'll go in and, you know, have a person tell me about their birth experience and, you know, do basic screenings and palpate the uterus and feel the pulse and tongue. I'm externally not, not a financial exam and just see what's going on. And then I'll use acupuncture. I'll do an acupuncture treatment. I'll often use moxibustion which is um, an herb mugwort that we burn over particular acupuncture points to help someone recover from blood loss and warm everything up. And then I'll prescribe herbs that are safe in breastfeeding if the person's breastfeeding to take to help with postpartum recovery. And then I'll do, I usually do a fair amount of, um, you know, asking questions about what are they eating and talking to the partner or other family members in the house about how they can support the person who just gave birth. And then I try to do about every two weeks. And so that second and sometimes even third visit will be in the person's home because I'm a big proponent of spending the first 40 days in a little bubble. Yeah. Or house or apartment or home as much as you can. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. And then usually people are ready to come see me, and we have a lot of newborns and young babies that come into the office. And so I'll work with them, or sometimes they want to just come in without the kid, Mm -hmm. um, have a little regulating time. So, you know, those three months are so key, the first three months, especially for the breastfeeding person, because that's the time when you're building those receptors locally in the breast and, you know, everything is adjusting so rapidly. There's so much hormonal shift. And in that first month, you know, your body's getting used to not having a placenta, which as we know is a hormone secreting organ and the brain's having to take over. And that feedback loop is massive. So can you talk a little bit more about what you see in that period of time? Like what is happening for people's bodies? Yeah. I mean, I think that for the first time parent, it's usually a shock and there's a sense of, I should just be feeling pure love and excitement Mm -hmm. for my babies. Yeah. And there's this awareness of like, but wait a minute, I'm, there's so much blood coming out of me and there's these clots and my boobs are really painful and I'm hungry all the time and I'm crying like all the time and is this normal and this just this sort of all of the fluids and all of those you know Mm -hmm. that there's no space for anything else even finding time to take a shower Mm -hmm. so hard so I try to normalize things as much as possible. And, you know, the tragedy is that in here in the United States, and I believe this is starting to change, but that first visit with the OBGYN is after you leave the hospital is six weeks. That's a long time. That is a long time. And midwives are in there constantly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a model of care. So I like to say that I use the midwifery model of care in, in practicing traditional Chinese medicine. And really just offering an ear to listen and to know, because I've gotten really good at figuring out what does this need? Does this, okay, this person needs an IBCLC. They need a lactation consultant. Mm-hmm. This person really could benefit from a perinatal mental health professional. Right. You know, like this person could really use a meal delivery service, or maybe they need a referral for, you know, a postpartum doula who's getting her hours and just to come and help. And especially yeah. I work with a lot of single moms by choice. Uh-huh. 
And that is a, <laughs> that is a, someone who needs as much support as possible. Oh, sure. So community really trying to help identify where, cause I, it's not all, you know, I, I am not everything in terms of what I offer to people. So. Right. True. And none of us are, but what I love about what you're highlighting is that you refer out. I think too few people <laughs> give appropriate referrals out to other professionals who can be supportive. Yeah, I think Honestly. that's true. I'm referred to, I'm called the referral queen. <laughs> oh I love holidays. it. And I get, yeah, the holidays are great. I guess because, and I know <laughs> nobody gives me kickbacks. It's just, you know, if I see somebody who's suffering, I also have a lot of empathy. I may have mentioned I'm writing a memoir and um, very much about my experience with postpartum anxiety after my second kid was born, really. Uh-huh. And, and looking back, I realized I did suffer from it after the first kid was born, but the, there was just kind of no time to focus on it. And then when I suddenly had two kids, two years apart, it was a rough adjustment. So you spot it, you got it. You know, I see people going through it. It's often not the, the postpartum anxiety can be immediate for some people, especially I'll see a lot of folks who've dealt with it after their first kid was born. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to go through that again. Can I do differently? So we come up with a plan, but sometimes it doesn't hit until later, you know, sure even six months out. So you're offering, like you said before, acupuncture, but also herbal medicines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with anxiety. And there's many, many herbal formulas that are, most of the herbal formulas that I use are fully safe in breastfeeding. There's certain herbs that we don't use, but in general, you know, nourishing tonic herbs that nourish blood and yin are, and then to some extent, yang as well can really help with that that just constant amped up feeling, that Mm -hmm. palpitations, the restlessness, the irritability that, you know, it's often what I call hummingbird syndrome. Like Uh a person can't stop moving. Yep. Um, Whether even if they're sitting on your couch in your therapy room, they might, you know, there's every, the limbs are moving, the, you know, the feet are restless. There's this sense of. It's like a buzz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see that. You know, isolation is, a really big issue for people who are suffering from postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, just mental health imbalance in the first year after giving birth. And so I try to help people identify that when they're isolating mm-hmm. because they might be coming to see me, they might be going to see their, you know, OB or their midwife, but that may be it or the pediatrician's office. And if for the person who's not back to work yet or isn't working outside the home, isolation is it's a really dangerous for all of us. And in this world, this, you know, Western world we have of the nuclear family, we just don't have these giant communities supporting us the way so many other cultures do. Right. And so I often will say to someone, okay, it really seems like you could use some support from other people who are right where you are and have babies, the age of your baby. Mm -hmm. So I encourage your listeners to think about that, you know, am I isolating? And that means yeah. maybe texting your friends and stuff a lot, but someone actually coming over and holding the baby while you take a shower, mm-hmm. doing a load of dishes, putting something in the laundry, mm-hmm. dropping off a meal, sitting and just listening to you cry. Right. You know, do you need a support group? Could it be beneficial to get to a new parent group or mm-hmm. a breastfeeding support group or, you know, some other type of going to the park and the playground with other people. Often when someone's partner's going back to work, that's the time when these issues will show up. Mm -hmm. And I'll get, you know, the 3 a.m. calls and emails from people Mm -hmm. saying like, I'm really, I can't sleep. I'm so anxious. Yeah. Isolation is so often 
the culprit. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So in the LA area, there happen to be quite a few of those resources and it's growing. It's growing elsewhere also. But certainly these days there are there are ways to get this support online too. If you know, listener, people who are listening now are in a place where they don't have a lot of resources locally. There's mm-hmm. quite a few options online for social support, but you know, there's nothing like having somebody actually come and help you. Yeah, absolutely. So you are in LA and support a lot of people out there. What about for folks who are not in LA? If you're looking for an acupuncturist, a licensed acupuncturist who does the kind of work that I do, the first place to look is a website called aborm.org, A-B-O-R-M.org. Mm. And that's the American, although it's really North American, Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. And so that's the, the other board certification that I have. And we specialize in fertility, pregnancy, the postpartum time. So there are Practitioners listed on there actually all over the world, but primarily in North America. And so you can click on find a practitioner, put your zip code in or your state and search for practitioners that are close to you. Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad to know that there is a reproductive medicine specialty within Chinese medicine. And um, it's great. Yeah, and I will say that there are some acupuncturists who are ABOM certified who primarily do fertility. I mean, all of us do fertility, but some do more pregnancy and postpartum than others. And But the typical acupuncturist really doesn't have, the typical licensed acupuncturist, even in California, does not have extensive training working in doing acupuncture during pregnancy and the postpartum time. So it's worth taking, you know, a few extra minutes to find somebody who does. And then yeah. you can just ask, you know, how many pregnant people do I get referrals from other acupuncturists who are like, I don't want, I don't want to touch someone who's pregnant. You no. can have them. <laughs> I'm like, great, bring it on. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm so glad you have this specialty. It's awesome. Thank um, you. I'll pretty soon give everybody the links where they can find you and all that you do. But I know that you also have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I do. I co-host a podcast with my colleague and friend Gloria Williamson called nutritionist and an acupuncturist walk into a bar and you can find us on SoundCloud and we talk about nutrition primarily, but just in general, we both are parents of two, you know, we both work and we just talk about hot topics. People have questions, things they want to know about that have to do with food and parenting and feeding kids and all that stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, I know people can find that through your website and I'll be sure to give everyone the links to that in the show notes. Great. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this with us. You know, I learned some new stuff today and I'm hopeful that people who are out there also know that they have this as an option. There are so many ways to seek healing and treatment and support. And this is is such a valuable option. So thanks for sharing this with us. Thank you. And thank you for everything you do for parents in the childbearing time. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you again, Abigail. You know, it is fascinating to me how many different ways there are to heal. And very specifically, like she was saying, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture has been around for a long time. There are so many ways of healing, and I'm really hopeful that this is one that can be useful for you, especially if you're someone who's tried a more conventional Western route of healing, and either you need additional support or it's not quite working for you. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get all of these episodes downloaded straight to you when they come out. 
and share, share, share with anybody who that you know could benefit from this information, which really is everybody, whether it's you or someone you love, know, or care about. So many people are affected by perinatal mental health conditions, and I just know we can reach them if we're sharing this information. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.